All right, good morning, Willow Creek. How are we doing this morning? It is great to see you here this morning. I also want to welcome all of our Willow locations, whether you're joining us in Willow Wheaton or South Lake, Chicago, Huntley, Crystal Lake, North Shore, South Barrington, uh, whether you're joining us online. What I love about Willow is no matter where you take part in our experiences, we are all one church. We're one family, so it's great to have you all with us. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, you know we shared with you some news that a couple weeks ago our senior pastor, Dave Dummett, did have a positive test for COVID, and uh, he just wanted to say thank you for all the kind notes, encouragement he's received for the past few weeks, lots of prayers being offered on his behalf, and so as a church, he just wanted to say thank you to each and every one of you for all that you are doing to encourage him. He's doing lots better. Uh, he was actually back in the office a couple of days this week, but he's got this cough that he can't kick, which keeps him from being here and up here this morning. So if you can continue to pray for him, he'll be back with us very, very shortly. Uh, but today we're going to continue the series we've been in for the last couple of weeks that's called Alive Without Breathing. Now, as I think about this series as we launch into it today, I think about a moment I had with my, my boys a couple years ago where they were pretty little. My boys at the time were probably about three and five years old, and at the time, my wife was a labor delivery nurse. And so in a very typical rhythm for us, she would bring the kids to church, we would experience the church service together, and then almost inevitably, she would have to rush off and go start her shift at work, leaving the two young boys with me. Now, again, as a pastor, many times after the services were over, I would use that time to connect with people and to hang out with people and to lean into people's stories and to pray for people. And so I remember this one particular week, there were quite a few people I was trying to connect with after service And so I made the fantastic parental decision of putting my five-year-old in charge of my (laughs) three-year-old. There's lots of reasons why I've never been nominated for a parent of the year, and this was probably one of those those moments. So I put my five-year-old in charge, and I was talking to people, praying with people, hanging out with people, the whole thing. And So when I kind of wrapped up, I went back to my five-year-old and said, hey, where's your little brother? And he looked at me like I had seven heads, like he didn't even know what I was talking about. I said, Bud, like, where's your little brother? I don't know. Well, like, when's the last time you've seen him? Long time ago? I'm like, oh, no. Now, at first, I'm not that concerned. We're in the church, for crying out loud. I mean, really, what, what could happen? And so, you know, I start looking around for us, and I'm calling his name, and I can't find the kid anywhere. And after two or three minutes pass, uh, pass by, you know, my, my heart starts beating a little bit faster. I start getting a little bit anxious about it. And so I'm calling him and I, I still can't find him. The first thought that goes through my head is, how am I going to explain to my wife that I've lost our kid, right? And so I, I got a few other people around me. It wasn't that huge of a facility, but it was three levels. And, and so I had a team go to the third level. I was on the ground level. I had another team searching kind of the basement area and nobody could find Austin, now, at this, part, this point, I, I started getting pretty concerned. I, I, was, I was pretty worried, and so I actually had a team go look at the security cameras to see, like, did he wander outside of the building? Did somebody come and take my kid? Like, I, you know, your mind just starts racing with where in the world is my little kid? When eventually I went over to the elevator and I pushed the button of the elevator, the doors open up, and there's my little boy in the corner just crying his eyes out. What had happened is that he hit the button of the elevator, the doors opened for him, he walked right in, they closed behind him, he didn't know how to get back out. 
And so it took me a while. You know, I, I, I held him in my arms, and I, I worked to try to calm me down. And eventually I had him calm down, and he looked at me, and he goes, Dad, I was calling your name, and you didn't answer. Which just broke my heart, but also made me a little defensive. I'm like, buddy, I mean, it's a pretty loud environment with church. There are these huge you know, elevator doors that made it where I couldn't hear the sound, you know if daddy would have heard you, you know, daddy would have come, but he couldn't get it out of his mind. He's like, dad, you weren't listening. Now, I can't be too hard on Austin, right? Because sometimes if, if my wife was here, she would say, Sean, sometimes you're sitting in the living room chair, I'm sitting on the living room couch, I'm talking to you, and you're not really paying attention. And, I, and, I, and if you're married in the room, maybe this is a unique conversation with husbands. Have you ever had the moment where you haven't heard a single sound until she asks the question, what did I just say to you? And I have no answer. I haven't heard a sound come from your mouth in my general direction in about 10 minutes. So whatever I come up with in this moment is going to fall, you know, woefully short. I, I sometimes can get very distracted, and I have a hard time hearing her when she's speaking directly at me. Now, hopefully you don't have the same problem. Sometimes I've got a listening problem, particularly when it comes to getting a little bit distracted. I've got my master's degree in, multi, I'm sorry, in monotasking. Some people can multitask. I am not one of those people. If I'm doing something else, if I'm watching a game, if I'm uh, on my phone, if I'm checking an email, if I'm responding to a text, it is like there's nothing else that's going on in the world. I don't lean into it. I'm too, I'm too distracted. I just, I just sometimes struggle with listening. Now, the reason why this is such an important thing to consider is as we continue the series that's called Alive Without Breathing. The series is all about prayer. The series title is based on a Martin Luther quote where he says, to be a Christian without praying is like trying to be alive without breathing. In many ways, like prayer is the breath of our spiritual lungs. It is essential for our spiritual survival. And part of prayer is about what we say to God, but part of prayer is what we receive from him. It's what we hear from him. Prayer sometimes has a listening posture, and candidly, this is often a piece of prayer that I'm not great at. I don't I don't stand still long enough to receive whatever it is that God's trying to say to me in my life. And so as we talk a little bit about prayer, again, it's very important about what we say to God, but it's also very important about what God is saying to us. And today we're going to lean into that side of the conversation, that how do you and I posture our lives that we can receive whatever it is that God's saying to us? that we can posture lives, that we can hear his voice as it guides and directs us. And so in order to have this conversation, I want to anchor us in this really intriguing narrative, 1 Samuel chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you can go to the Old Testament. It's kind of toward the beginning of the Bible, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, if you'd like to use a smartphone or a tablet or something like that, you can certainly look up the scripture there as well, or the scripture will show up on the screen. So here's the setting of the conversation. You have Samuel, who's somebody who becomes this prophet priest, this powerful, uh, important person uh, in the Old Testament. And he's, th he's in this scene with Eli, who's a mentor figure. Now, at the time, Samuel's probably a preteen, likely somewhere in like the 10 to 12 years old range. And here's the story that we read, 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 2. It says this. 
says, one night, Eli, again, he's, he's the mentor, the spiritual figure, he said, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord. The location's really important. So look, he's in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that it was actually the Lord that was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go lie down. And if he, meaning God, calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. It's, it's kind of a powerful story and kind of a, a one that I lean into and resonate with significantly. And so if you and I want to be people kind of similar to Samuel that learn how to hear, recognize, and respond to the voice of God, there are a lot of principles we learn in this short narrative. The first principle is simply this, that we've got to be people who be, that we're people who be where, where God speaks. That we, we learn to locate ourselves in the various places where God speaks. Uh, maybe, maybe think about it this way. Uh, remember the, the old Verizon commercials that they had the, uh, the, the guy that said, can you hear me now? Remember these? Can you hear me now? Then he kind of walked to another place, can you hear me now? And the whole point was, no matter where he goes, the networks can provide the signal that you can always hear me now. Now, now what's interesting about it is you and I now have cell phones, and what we know about our own cell phone services, sometimes we have great reception, we can hear really well, sometimes we go to other places, and we have a little bit harder time with the connection. We just can't hear quite as well. Now, let me be really candid from a theological perspective. What the Bible teaches is that the Holy Spirit of God abides in the life of a believer, that there's actually nowhere that you will ever go that you're outside of the presence of God. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. God is always there. However, if your life is anything like mine, though God is always present, there are certain places I can go where I'm more present with God. Does that make sense? that my life is more postured to actually receive from God, that sometimes I go in very distraction-oriented places that even if God was speaking, I probably wouldn't hear him. And so the question becomes, how do I position my life consistently that I'm at places that I will actually hear God prompting me, guiding me, leading me, speaking to me? I don't know what those places might look like for you, but let me make a few possible suggestions. I hope that one of those places would be right here at Willow Creek. No matter what location you find yourself calling home as Willow, I hope that you walk into Willow Creek South Barrington or Willow Creek Huntley or Willow Creek Wheaton, whatever location that you call home, I hope that you walk into that environment and it's a place that you hear from God. 
Now, I think that people show up at, at church for all kinds of different reasons, right? You know, sometimes we, we, we come because somebody has twisted our arm hard enough to get us here. And sometimes we come because that's just the rhythm and pattern that what we do. Sometimes we show up out of obligation or whatever. But if, if God gets you here on a weekend, the question becomes, what's the posture of your heart? Are you open and receptive to what God might want to speak to you, prompt you, lead you in? Candidly speaking, sometimes I show up and I show up more with a critical eye and a critical heart than a receptive heart. And I show up to kind of have an opinion around the style of the music or the order of the service or uh, how strong the message was. And I show up with a little bit more of a critical eye and a critical heart instead of a receptive heart. But my encouragement is every single time you walk into a place like this, would you walk in with an open heart and with an open posture, almost just like Samuel says, here I am. Speak to me, Lord. Your servant is listening. What I love about Samuel is it talks about his location, that he was uh, in the Lord's house. He was near the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Old Testament where they assumed that God's presence was. That he just found himself near the presence of God. It was the place that he was most receptive to the voice of God. Now, I don't think that God's voice is uniquely attached to some sort of church gathering. I think there's a lot of places that we can connect with God, that we can open ourselves up to potentially what God wants to say to us. And that might be a little bit unique for each one of us. Here's what I know about myself. Uh, what I know about myself is it's very helpful for me to have a place in my house that's almost just a distraction-free area. It's a place that I don't take technology to. Uh, it's a place that, it's, that I, can, I can read God's word. I can lean into it. It's a place that my kids know if that's where dad's at, that I'll leave him alone at least for three minutes. You know, it's, it's kind of a distraction-free area. Uh, if you've been around uh, Willow for a long time, you've heard the phrase chair time. There's something about chair time that allows us to have a specific place that we go to, to to hear from God. For others of us, we hear from God best like outside, in nature, those types of things. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to, to take a hike in the Grand Tetons. I think God literally lives in the Grand Tetons. It was, it was beautiful. And every morning, I would wake up, and I would go by this stream, and I would just sit very quietly, and there's just something about it that postured my life and my heart to be open and receptive to what God might be saying. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a stream that runs by my house on a consistent basis. And so if I connect with God via nature, maybe it's taking a walk in a forest preserve. You know, maybe it's taking a walk around the block. Whatever it is, posture your life to make sure you're at places consistently where your heart and your life are open to receive. Here's the second piece that we learn from Samuel's story. Not only do we need to be at the place where God's presence is, we've got to confirm that what we hear is actually God's voice. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, you look at the narrative as far as Samuel's story, and you notice that he hears somebody calling his name a number of times, but he mistakes the voice of God for the voice of Eli. And, and a number of times, he actually thinks it's Eli that's calling him, so he raises into to his mentor's room. He says, hey, you've been calling me. And Eli's like, I don't, you're hearing something, bro. I don't know really what's going on. Why don't you just go back and lay down? Because he doesn't yet have the ability to really discern and recognize and confirm that the voice that he's hearing is actually God's voice. And so how do we really do that? How do, how do you and I lean into the place that we can understand, learn, discern what God's voice is? You know, there is technology that exists today 
that has the ability to uh, discern some person's voice from another person's voice. It's actually a security feature on certain things that, that just by voice recognition, they can know that it's you. Just so you know, when it comes to my phone, Siri only responds to my voice. My sons will say, hey, Siri, to my phone, and Siri just ignores them like they don't even exist, right? Because Siri's learned to, to know my voice. The same is true in my own life. There are certain voices that I recognize because I've spent enough time with them. Uh, my wife's voice, I can recognize in a crowd of people. My, my boys' voices, unless they're trapped in an elevator, I can hear their voices and I recognize them They're, because I spend enough time with them that I can easily recognize them. There are even certain actors' voices. I don't have to see their face. I can always recognize Morgan Freeman's voice, right? That there are just certain voices that you can just hear without seeing anything. You can recognize whose voice it is. And so the question becomes, how do I spend enough time with God that I can recognize his voice? That I don't get it confused with somebody else's voice. I don't get it confused with my political leaning. I don't get it confused with just something I really want to do. How do I discern something to truly be God's voice? And so I want to provide maybe some practical filters of saying things that might be helpful to us in this world that we live in that's full of all kinds of distractions and all kinds of things that will pull us in all kinds of directions. How do we, how do we quiet those things to truly lean into what is actually God's voice? You know, what's interesting about, about Jesus, he says these words. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. Jesus says this. He goes, I know them and they follow me. And so there's something about spending time with the shepherd that gives us the opportunity to discern what God's voice looks like. So here's a couple of filters that could be helpful for us. If we want to confirm that a voice is God's voice, we have to recognize that God often speaks through his Holy Spirit. So as we talked about earlier, God's spirit lives inside the life of a believer. That sometimes there are these internal prompts, these, these internal uh, guidance that God provides through the power of his Holy Spirit. And the more we lean into that, the more we'll recognize it. The more we respond to it, the more we'll understand it. But again, when we're on, newer on our journey, we're trying to discern it. Sometimes it's hard to decipher, is that the leading of the Holy Spirit or is that the burrito I ate last night? And I'm not really 100% sure. And so though God leads through his Holy Spirit, sometimes some additional filters are helpful to discern whether it truly is the voice of God or not. And so God does speak to the leading of his Holy Spirit, but God also speaks to us through the pages of Scripture. Uh, one of the things that we believe is that this is actually God's word, God's voice speaking to us. And the truth is, God will never prompt us something through the power of the Holy Spirit that in any way could contradicts what God has already said. What God prompts us to will always be incongruent with what God has already said through Scripture. Those will have to be connected. So for example, uh, years ago I was talking to a gentleman and he said to me, and he really believed this, he said to me, I think that God is telling me to divorce my spouse. And he really believed, he, he really felt like that's what he was feeling prompted to do. But again, if you compare that to what we know about what God has already taught in Scripture, you would realize that those are two very contradictory types of things. Because God says something very different about divorce in Scripture, right? And so, if what I'm feeling prompted to do doesn't match up what God's telling me to do in Scripture, it's likely not the voice of God at all. It's actually something else. It's my desire. It's my want. It's my justification of my actions. It could be a lot of other things, but those will always be in congruency with each other. 
There's kind of a third filter that's helpful that God also speaks through his people. It's one of the reasons why we believe small groups are such an important environment around here at Willow. I had the opportunity to hang out with my small group last night, an incredible, incredible group of people. And you think about just what it means to surround yourself with some spiritual friends who know you, who know your story, who believe in you, who want the best for you. And if I'm ever wrestling with something that I'm not really sure exactly how God might be leading, it serves me well to take it to a group of people who I trust them, I trust their faith. Sometimes maybe they're further along in a faith journey in a certain area that I am, and I lay it before him and and say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I know scripture teaches. What do you think? And many times if I can get confirmation across all those things, it's a great indication that that actually may be exactly what God has revealed for me to do, what God is prompting me to do. And here's a fourth filter that I found to be helpful, that God also speaks through what I would say his revealed character. I think about it this way. Uh, Have you ever had a situation where maybe the gossip mill was flowing and somebody comes up to you and they're telling you this, this, you know, uh, very savory piece of gossip and they tell you something about somebody you know and you listen to what they're saying that this person said or this person did and you think to yourself, that doesn't sound like them. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like something that that person would say. That doesn't sound like something that person would do. And there's a disconnect between what you're hearing and what you know about their character. I think in a similar way, when it comes to discerning God's voice, and we're really trying to wrestle with it, uh, here's here's what's always true. That, that, that God's promptings will always be connected to his character. So for example, if I'm hearing a message that says, I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy, nobody really cares, that's not the voice of God. Because the voice of God reminds us in, in, in Romans chapter 8 that, that therefore that there's no condemnation for somebody in Christ Jesus. And if I'm hearing a voice of condemnation, that's not the voice of God. Because God would call you a son or a daughter. God would call you somebody who has intrinsic value and worth. God would call you, you know, uh, somebody of the utmost importance and dignity, right? That's, that's the voice of God. If I'm ever hearing a voice that, that asks a lot of questions about like, well, if I do this, then this thing is going to happen. And, and if, if fear starts welling up beside me, the voice of fear is not the voice of God. Because God doesn't lead us by fear. God leads us by faith. And so sometimes we have to check the voices against what we know to be true about God's character. And if there's not congruence in those things, it's actually not the voice of God. Sometimes it's actually the voice of the enemy. And so discerning the the voice of God and confirming the voice of God is a really important part. And so again, God will lead us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will, he will always speak to us through scripture. He will, he will confirm things in a circle of spiritual friends and he will always be consistent with his character. So as we really lean in and, 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 and discern the voice of God, here's the third principle we learn from, from this story and it's simply this, is that we do whatever we can to avoid distraction. Now notice, when Eli finally recognized what was happening, that that he wasn't the one calling Samuel, that it was God that was calling him, look what he instructed him to do. He told him to go back and lay down. Because he knew if he went back and lay down, it postured his life in a distraction-free type of zone. It was actually when he was laying down that Samuel consistently heard the voice of God over and over again. And there's something about kind of a distraction-free zone that's really important. 
I ran across a, a story this week as I was preparing for this message about a guy by the name of Bernie Krause. Uh, he's one of those, those people who records sounds that are like nature sounds. And he records nature sounds in order to use it as a, as a sound bed for TV shows, for movies, for those types of things. He's been doing it for a lot of years. He first started in 1968. And he said when he first started recording nature sounds, he would have to record about 15 hours of footage that could be edited down to a usable one hour that could be used for, again, a TV show or movie, something like that. So it was about a 15 to one ratio. He said, but today, you know, some 50 plus years later, he now has to record some 20,000 hours in order to get one hour of footage. Because there's so much distraction in our world today. There's so much interruption in our world today to get clean footage. You actually have to get way more footage because there's so much more going on in our world today. And I think that that's so true. I mean, think about the lives that we live and you think about the technology that's in our hands. There are so many possible distractions that come at your life and come at my life all the time. And if you remember, there's another story in Scripture in the Old Testament about a guy by the name of Elijah. He was a prophet. And he was trying to, to hear and lean into the voice of God. And so uh, the story goes that there was this wind. It was like a hurricane type of wind. But it says God's voice was not in the wind. And there was a moment that there was this earthquake on the mountain that, that shook everything, but he says God's voice was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire that came and literally enveloped most of what was seen, and it says, but God's voice was not in the fire. Instead, it says a few verses later that God spoke through a whisper. That it wasn't in some of the, the, the giant, significant, booming moments it was in the still, the quiet, and the silence where God's whisper could more profoundly be heard. That's why Psalm 46 is so important when, when the psalmist just pins these words. He says, be still and know that I am God. It's in the stillness. Sometimes it's in the silence. It's in that distraction-free chair time that, that we really have postured our lives to be most receptive to what God wants to say. Here's the last piece for us, is that we have to be people that not just hear God's word, but we are people who respond with obedience. And I think this last piece is so critically important that if we miss out on this last piece, we'll have a harder time hearing God's voice over the course of time. That we don't just be people who hear God's voice, that we hear it and we actually do something about it. We actually put it into action. Now, here's what's true in my own life. And I don't know if you'll find this to be true in, in your life as well, but in my own life, when I'm really leaning into God's voice, what I discover is more often than not, the prompts from God are outside of what I would typically have done. More often than not, they actually are a course change, a, a complete change in direction to do something completely different. That was the story as you continue to read in 1 Samuel. What you discover is what, what, what God is going to call Samuel to do is something that he never would have fathomed on his own. You see, Eli had a few sons who were doing all kinds of atrocious things. They were, they were sleeping with some of the temple servants. They were stealing money that people had given to God. They were doing all kinds of things. And God was going to ask Samuel, again, probably a 10 to 12-year-old, to confront his spiritual mentor about what was going on in his household. You want to talk about intimidating, right? That was intimidating. 
And I think many times God's promptings are similar in the sense that if we were going this direction and it was exactly what God was wanting us to do, God doesn't have to prompt us because we're already following God's will. So the prompts come when God wants to change our path or direction, maybe go a different direction to do something slightly different. From my perspective, most of the tangible prompts I've experienced in my life are, are in a different direction of what I would have done on my own. They call me out of my comfort zone. They call me to do something radically, radically different. So a few examples in my own journey. Uh, there was a season where I felt very compelled by God to extend forgiveness to a person that really I'd kind of written off in my life. It's not something I would have necessarily done, but I really felt compelled to do something that I would not have done otherwise. I think about another time when I felt very prompted by God to go initiate reconciliation in a relationship that was, that was just shattered, just completely broken. And I didn't take any action. And I would justify it thinking, well, is that person who had wronged me? It was that person who had committed the fault. It was that person who severed the relationship. So if that's what they want, that's what we can have. And I felt very prompted by God to initiate reconciliation, even though I hadn't felt like I was responsible for breaking the relationship. I can think about another time that I felt very prompted to give financially a, a very sacrificial gift that would that would fuel God's kingdom and God's mission. And, and for me, I can sometimes place my security in money and finances, sometimes in a very unhealthy way. And so the prompting was not only to, to fuel ministry, the prompting was also to loosen the grip of money that it had on my own heart, right? But it required great sacrifice. It was not something that I would have done on my own unless I was prompted to do something completely different. I talked to a couple recently who felt very burdened by the foster crisis and in response to God have now become foster parents. Many times the prompts of God are not in line with the direction we're currently going and God's voice will pull us out of our comfort zone to do something that we would have never done before but are very consistent with his character, are very consistent what he's revealed to us. But it takes the prompting of God to get us to do that which we would have not done on our own, that which requires faith, that which requires sacrifice, that which requires a significant step in our journey. God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? And then the most important question is, will we actually respond in obedience and do it? It's one thing to hear from God that I'm supposed to forgive somebody. It's another thing to actually call up the phone and start that conversation. It's one thing for me to hear that God wants me to initiate reconciliation. It's another thing to reach out to them and begin setting up a coffee so we can begin this reconnecting of relationship. It's one thing to, to hear a call uh, 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 that's related to a foster crisis. It's another thing to sign on the dotted line and become a foster parent, right? It's one thing to hear it. It's a whole other thing to actually live it out. But here's what I've discovered. The more you hear and respond, hear and respond, the more you'll actually hear from God. You'll become familiar with his voice. You'll learn to respond to it. The more you hear, the more you'll hear and respond. But the opposite is also true. If I hear and learn to ignore, if I hear and I learn to choose to not respond, the less and less I will hear. And sometimes you'll, you'll talk to people and they'll say things like, I don't think that God's saying anything to me. I don't think that, that God has, is speaking to me. Is it possible that it's not the issue that God's not speaking. The question is, are we listening? 
And are we actually responding? The more you hear, the more you will hear. The more you respond, the more you will lean into God's voice on a consistent basis. It will become a part of who you are and how you relate to him. You know, this weekend is a, is a special weekend around all of our locations here at Willow. Uh, we're going to celebrate baptism. You know, people who are putting their faith and commitment to Jesus, they're going to go public with their faith uh, and be baptized, which is a really, really excited weekend. And we're doing it very differently at all of our locations. Some of our locations are, are doing it in the services right after following this message. Uh, others of our locations are doing it a little bit later today here at South Barrington. Uh, this afternoon, we're baptizing people in the lake, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. That no matter what location you call home at Willow, one of the things that God will always prompt you, God's voice will always be speaking to you, is God will speak to you to draw you closer to himself through Jesus. Always, every time. Whether you've been a believer for a long time, God's voice will pull you to himself. Or whether God's calling you to place your faith and trust in him for the first time, God's voice will pull you to himself through his son Jesus. And so maybe you've been here today, whether here at Barrington or maybe at one of our locations, and you're feeling something inside. Maybe you never felt it before. This is kind of a new thing for you. If it's a voice that's drawing you to place your faith and commitment to Jesus, that is the voice of God. That is very much something that God would do. Or maybe you've not experienced it here this morning necessarily, but, but you've experienced it sometime over this past season. If you've sensed the God saying, I want you to commit your life fully to me, I promise you, that is the voice of God. That is exactly something that he would do. And so if you want to declare your faith and commitment to him, we want to give you the opportunity to do so. And even if you want to take it a step further and go public with that commitment through baptism, I know at every single one of our locations, our campus pastors want to talk with you, pray with you, give you next steps of whatever it looks like for you to live out that decision today. And so what I love to do is I love to say a prayer. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to simply say this prayer after me. And if you would like to express that commitment through baptism, we're going to give you the opportunity to connect with somebody uh, after the service or in the service that you can follow through with that decision. But if you would, just bow your heads. And if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I just ask that you pray this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. God, I hear you speaking. I choose to respond. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.